Years ago, my parents recognized that my brothers and I were history buffs, and they had us watch the longest documentary in the history of the world called Ken Burns' The Civil War. Now, now most kids could not sit through Ken Burns' The Civil War, but we did, most of it. And, but, but, but then the payoff after all of that is we got to watch the movie Gettysburg. You ever see Gettysburg? Martin Sheen? Yeah, great, great movie. We were big Civil War buffs. In fact, we, we really were, were, were history buffs altogether, but we really loved the Civil War. So my dad said, hey, why don't we go to Gettysburg for vacation this year? Now, that sounds awful to you. Most of you are like, let's go to the beach. But we were, we were, we were Civil War buffs. We were history buffs. We're like, yeah, Gettysburg. Let's go see that. So we all hopped in the car, and we began to make our way through southern Pennsylvania. We got excited. We'd watch the movies. We'd seen the documentaries. We were, we were getting pumped. And my brother Mike was, was, was older than the rest of us, so he sat in the back with a map checking my dad's directions the entire time. Now, for those of you who don't know what a road map is, it's a piece of paper. And I'm, I'm kidding, but not really. So anyhow, he, he has this road map, and he's sitting in the back of this gift's dad conversion van. He's looking at stuff, and all of a sudden, he, he says to my dad after, oh, I don't know, probably six hours in the car, Dad, you missed the turn to Gettysburg. And Dad said nothing. And we just kept driving. And, and my brother's getting flustered. He goes, Dad, you, you missed the turn. And my dad is just not saying anything, pretending like he can't hear him. And my brother's like, no, Dad, you don't understand. You missed the turn. And there's going to be another turn here in about 10 miles. If you miss that turn, we're totally off. My dad missed the next turn. By this time, my brother was losing his mind in the back of the conversion van. Dad, we're going the wrong way. What are you doing? Dad, we're lost. And then finally, my dad said, Mike, I know where I'm going. And then he kept going the wrong way. <laughs> and he kept going the wrong way, and he kept going the wrong way. And, 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 and if, if, if the back of the conversion van could have exploded because of my brother's emotions, it would have. Because he is going nuts with this map that's bigger than he is, trying to get my dad back to Gettysburg. And all of a sudden, after, I don't know, an hour maybe, maybe, maybe an hour and 15 minutes of heading the wrong direction, my brother Mike goes, oh. We're like, what is that? What is, oh. And he goes, we're going to Washington, D.C., aren't we? My dad was silent again. See, that was the surprise. We were going to spend a few days in D.C., and then we are going to backtrack to Gettysburg. And for nerdy history buffs like my brothers and I, this was the vacation of our dreams, okay? And we still talk about it. Best family vacation we ever had, going to Gettysburg, going to, going to D.C. But my brother could not rest in the fact that my dad had any concept of where he was going. You know, my dad knew the parameters of the trip. He knew our destinations. He knew our stops. But... It, Back in that third row, my brother could not rest in that. And Peter is going to encounter these people that, that he is writing here in the book of 1 Peter, and, and he's going to have people that aren't at rest. Thing, and things in life aren't quite what he thinks they think they should be. They think maybe they're, they, they could even be headed in the wrong direction. And Peter is going to reaffirm to them throughout these first two chapters, your father knows the parameters of the trip. He knows all of your destinations. He knows all of your stops. And I want you to rest in that. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We're going to see some identity markers here that are important for us today. Peter, an apostle of Jesus, apostle just means an authoritative representative, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, 
We're going to explain that. In Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, for those of you who are newer to church or didn't take advanced lessons in theology, that is Christianese at its highest form. There's a lot of words there that if I was new to Christianity, I'd go, I have no concept what any of what was just said. But Peter is offering some very important and reassuring words to his congregation right here at the beginning in these first two verses. He is, he is, he is establishing the identity that they have, and he doesn't want them to miss exactly who they are. And what Peter's saying here, right from the outset of writing to these churches who are under this tough persecution, he says, you know what? You belong to God. You are God's right where you're at. Right where you're at, you belong to God. Now, how do we know that's what Peter's saying? Well, let's look down into verse 1. When Peter says, you are elect exiles of the dispersion. We're going to break down those three words. Elect, exiles, and dispersion. The first concept is you are elect. Maybe you have in your Bible the word chosen. This is one of the favorite things that the apostle loves to call the people of the church. Folks who have been called or chosen by God to do God's will in the world. You are part of God's team. You belong to God. You've been chosen by him. He knows you by name. You are God's. I remember when I was in the third grade, every day at recess there would be a football game. The fifth graders were the captains. And if you were in the fifth grade, you had a chance of getting picked for the team. If you were in fourth grade, you might get picked for the team. And if you were in third grade, you had no hope. But, but thankfully, as a third grader, one day, everybody had got the stomach flu, and the school was ravaged by it, right? It was completely destroyed, right? And so I'm out there, and all of a sudden, some fifth grader looks and goes, hey, you, yeah. And I was like, me? I get to play in the football game, and I would stand on that line all the time wanting to be put into the game, but I never, and all of a sudden that fifth grader looked at me and says, come on over here. And I remember thinking that my life had changed forever. <laughs> I got to play in that game. I was super excited. Nobody knew my name, but just being chosen by a fifth grader was awesome. Think about the fact that you have been chosen, selected by God. Not a fifth grader. God. And he says, you're on my team. You're part of what I'm doing in the world. You belong to me. That's a good feeling. They say, oh, he's just sort of, you know, he selected me within the group. There's a group of people. No, no, he selected us. He selected us. He knows us by name. But that's the good news. Here's the bad news. Peter calls them elect exiles. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be exiled. I watched enough Survivor to know that Exile Island is not a good place. Exile means you are in a place that you don't belong, that you don't really want to be. And Peter says, listen, folks, you as Christians are not only chosen, but you are exiles. You don't belong. Now, he's just saying you've been chosen by God, so therefore the not belonging can't be to God. He just said you do belong to God, so what don't you belong to? Well, well, in this case, for these readers, it would have been they don't really belong to Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They don't really belong in the place that they're at. Their citizenship lies elsewhere. For us, it's, it, it's the very same. Like, we, we don't really belong in Falls, Stowe, Talmadge, Macedonia, Streetsboro, Akron, Hudson. We don't belong there. Our citizenship lies elsewhere. 
And, and this is when we can look back into the pages of Scripture and see what Jesus had to say and find out who, who do we really belong to. Well, we belong to the kingdom of God. We belong to the kingdom, more specifically, of Jesus Christ. That's where our citizenship lies. That's who we belong to. That's who we owe our allegiance to. But here's the thing, and here's the stinky thing, and Peter's putting it out there right away. As long as we belong to Jesus, we don't really belong in this world any longer. We don't belong to this world's system, its values, its culture. And if we don't make that known, they'll make that known to us. You say, I don't think I like that. Well, it's not always the most beautiful thing in the world. It's not always the greatest thing in the world to think, I don't know, as a Christian, do I really fit anymore? But it is what it is. The good news is, God's cool with that. And here's where the third thing comes in. He says, you are the elect exiles, and those two words go together, by the way. There's some translations that put this elect or chosen down in the second verse to, to, to make some theological point. It's not the way it's written in the Greek. Dative, uh, plural, adjectives that go together. Elect exiles, they go together. But Peter then says, of the dispersion. That's a very Jewish term. That means the diaspora. That means the people of God scattered throughout the world. Now, the Jews use this term for themselves because maybe only one-fifth or one-sixth of the Jewish population at that time in the history of the world actually lived in Israel. They were scattered throughout the world. But Peter's now applying that to us Christians. He says, you Christians are scattered throughout the world, and God's the scatterer. You're elect exiles of the dispersion. And diaspora means to spread seed. So God has his Christians, whether they're in Pontus or Galatia, whether they're in Babylon or Israel, whether they're in England or America, God has taken his hand and gone throughout the earth, spreading his elect exiles exactly where he wants them to be. And that's the second point this morning. The second point is this. God knows exactly where you're at. You are elect exiles. You've been chosen by God. You don't really fit in this world, but you've been distributed through, by God through the world. Look at chapter or verse 2 by the foreknowledge of God. God knows exactly where you're at. It's absolutely no mistake. Now, this morning you said to yourself as you got up, I wish I was in Florida. And I agree with you. I wish I was there too this morning. I'd be preaching on remote, but I wish I was there when it was 18 degrees and snowy this morning. But, but, but right now, where you're at is where God has you, and he knew you'd be here. He knew that you'd be here today, right where you're at. And I don't just mean locationally, I mean, I mean holistically. God knows that you'd be at 3833 Hudson Drive in Stowe, Ohio. He knew that this morning. He knew where you'd be morally this morning. He knew where you'd be ethically. He knew where you'd be in terms of your life circumstance, because he knows you. He knows you by name. He knows the mistakes that you have made, and he knows the victories of your life. He knows the set of circumstances that have brought you to this place because he's God. I take great comfort in knowing that God sees me and God's not surprised by the place that I'm at. He's not surprised where I'm at today and he's not overwhelmed by it. I went to undergraduate school in southeast Tennessee and one day in my freshman year, I got in my car and I took a drive and I decided I'd grab something to eat and then I'd head back to campus and I'd take a shorter route. Now, I'd never been shown the shorter route, and I didn't have one of those things called a map. So I was just sort of aiming. And after 25 minutes of aiming, maybe 35, if, if I'm being generous, I passed a sign that said, Welcome to Georgia. 
because I'm an idiot. It's the worst I ever got lost in my entire life. I kept telling myself, this looks familiar. Lies. It didn't look familiar. It never looked familiar. I was in Georgia. So I stopped at a gas station. I got directions home. I made my way back, and it was so incredibly embarrassing. Now, that never happens to me anymore because I don't use maps. I use my good pal Siri, and Siri gets me anywhere I need to go. And now when I get lost in Cleveland, Akron, or any other state that I'm traveling in because I get lost regularly, I, I say, hey, Siri, get me to such and such. And Siri never responds to me, don't know where that is. In fact, I don't know where you're at. Siri never says, how'd you get yourself there? Siri never says anything recriminating, never, never says anything mean, and never seems overwhelmed by where I've got myself. God is greater than Siri. He's not overwhelmed by where you got yourself. He's not overwhelmed by where you're at. He's not not overcome by the fact that he's got to get you to a new destination. God sees where you're at, and he knew you'd be there. So what do you do? You say, say, Pastor Matt, I know you're making a case to me that God's given me this place in the world, and I'm to be his his in this world, and, and he's selected me to be that, but I've really messed things up. Well, let me tell you, even in the foreknowledge of God, he's not overwhelmed by your mess-ups. He's not overwhelmed by your predicament. He knows where you're at by his foreknowledge. He knows where you've been dispersed to. That doesn't mean he's given license to your sin or got excited when you've messed up. That Oh, I, well, I knew he'd do that. He's not taking some, some, some weird glory in the fact that he knew that you'd mess up. But he knew. He knows where you're at. And that's why the next two identity markers are so incredibly important for us. What is it we're to do with the place that we're at today? Look at what it says in verse 2. Not only does God know where we're at, but it says, by sanctification of his spirit. It says, that's another identity marker for you. So, so far, you're an elect exile, scattered by God where he wants you to go, but don't worry, God knows exactly where you're at because you're being sanctified by his spirit as we speak. Once again, we're speaking Christianese, so I gotta break this down for you. And because I love you and I care about you, I spent time this week in the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament based on semantic domains. That is a title of one book, and it said this, <laughs> okay? Sanctified, and the way it's used in this particular case, means to dedicate to the service of and loyalty to the deity. That's what it says. Sanctification, if you break down its root words into the, into the, the semantic domain, is to literally say that you are set apart for God. In the Old Testament, this would have been the word holy, but it would have been more specifically holy as it pertains to the things that God uses for his service in the temple. Like set apart for the specific use of God. Now think about this for just a moment. God says, you know what? You're elect. I've chosen you. You don't really belong in the place that you're at, but you do belong to me. I have scattered you by my foreknowledge, and so you are in a place from right now by which you can be what? An instrument in my hands. You are God's chosen instrument. You're God's instrument in the world. You are sanctified. By God's spirit, you didn't do anything to earn that. God didn't say, oh, Otto is awesome. Welcome to my service. No. Uh, Dave was not a knight of the round table before he became an elder, all right? Right? I just saw you, Dave. You're sitting over there. You're smiling, so I picked on you. But anyhow, that, that's, that we, God does not sanctify us by, by our awesomeness. He sanctifies us because of his mercy and his goodness. 
and he wants us to be instruments in the world. Now, why is that important when we're facing the tough stuff of life? Well, let me explain it to you this way. I had the great opportunity this summer to, to, to coach girls youth softball with two of my good buddies and with my oldest daughter. Had a great time. But, but by the end of the season, when these girls began to get real good at softball, they could really smash the ball. And, and we recognized that the girls were going to have to pay more attention than they ever had before. Well, we had this really good athlete. She was just incredible. We put her at third base. And for those of you who play softball, you know third base is the hot corner. It's called the hot corner because the ball gets on you quicker than anywhere else on the baseball diamond. I mean, you really have to have your, your head on straight because the ball's going to get there in a hurry. One day we're watching a game, and this girl from the other team who could really smoke the ball hits it, and our third baseman was being a space cadet. <laughs> and that ball flew right by her head. I mean, inches. And we, we were that close probably to a concussion. So immediately the coaches and I looked at the other, no, you know, and, and we said, hey, you got to pay attention. And, I, and, and we're, you got you to watch. And, and the next inning we moved things around because we didn't want anybody to get hurt. So later that, that afternoon we said, listen, listen, girls, you've got to pay attention. When we say down and ready, you got to be down and ready. You got to be ready for the ball to get hit your way because these girls are starting to smoke the ball and you could get hurt. Well, that's what it means to be God's instrument. It's to be down and ready. Because life's going to smoke balls at you. There's going to be lots of things that come flying your way. And the only way to be prepared for that and ready for that is to say, I'm God's instrument. I belong to him. I know what I'm doing in this world. I know who I am. And I'm going to have one hit right at me. And the difference between it hitting me in the dome and causing me to be concussed and me doing something with that ball is whether or not I see myself as an instrument of God. Do I belong at third base? It's going to be the difference. Life's going to hit fastballs at you anyways. You might as well be down and ready for them as an instrument of God, recognizing that you're part of his team. Or otherwise, you're going to get smoked. And that getting smoked's not good. I don't want to get hit in the head by the ball. That doesn't sound good to me. I might not always catch the ball. I might not always double up the runner at second. I'm just using this analogy for you baseball people. You're welcome. I, I, I might not always have all the, but at least I can knock that ball down so it doesn't hit me in the dome. At least I can stop the runners from advancing. Life's going to hit you. Are you ready for it? Peter says to these people in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, life's throwing stuff at you, and I get it, but don't worry. You belong on God's team, and you're being sanctified by the Spirit to be used by him. And then he gives it one other marker for us to really grab hold of. He says, because you are Christ's. Look at verse 2, and we're going to finish up here. He says, in sanctification of the Spirit to obedience for, for obedience to Jesus Christ with the sprinkling of his blood. He gets even more specific. He says, you are Christ's servant. Now, for those of you who, who maybe are a bit newer, you might go, well, I thought I was loved by Christ, saved by Christ, given eternity by Christ. I love all those good things, but Christ's servant, I, I don't really get that. Well, well, remember, we talked about in the book of Mark that, that, that you and I were in an agreement, in a binding agreement, in a covenant with sin and death until Christ came. And now, through the blood of Christ, the sprinkling of his blood, we have become partners in a new covenant. Something altogether new by which we aren't in a covenant with sin and death anymore. We are in a covenant with life and God. But we're not equal with Christ. Christ has brought us into this covenant. We've agreed to this covenant, but he's the boss now. 
In the same way that sin was the boss in the old life, Christ is the boss in this new life. He's the leader. We serve him. A lot of times those girls would run up to me and say, Coach Matt, I want to play this and this. I want to play this position. I want to be in this position. And I have to talk to the other coaches, but that was actually against the rules. You see, it wasn't my team. I was the assistant coach. The head coach had looked at me before the season started. He says, hey, listen, we can't have the girls running the show. So if they come up to you and ask to play in a position, they got to do push-ups. We'll let them know that before the first game. Because we know where they're to be and where to put them and where to place them. We're going to rotate them. But at the beginning and end of the game, we're going to try to start and get a lead. And then we're at the end of the game, we're going to try to win. And we're going to rotate the girls around. So we know where they need to go. So if they co- we're going to tell them early on, don't come up asking to play a certain position during the game. You can ask between games, but not during the game. Because it just creates confusion. And, and in the end, we know where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing. And there were push-ups going around, believe me. But I'm a nice coach. I did the push-ups with them because I'm a nice guy. You're like, I want him as my coach. You do. I'm a good coach. Anyhow, why did we do that? Because we wanted to win. We also wanted to make sure everybody got to play certain positions. We wanted the girls to grow into who they were supposed to be. And if we had just allowed them to constantly come up and say, I want to play second, I want to play short, I want to play pitcher, I want to play catcher, and just gone, okay, 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 they wouldn't have learned what they were supposed to learn. We wouldn't have put them in a position to succeed. We wouldn't have been a very good coach. See, Peter reminds these people in Pontus and Galatia, listen, folks, listen to me. I want you to know categorically that you are Christ's servants. He's the coach. You don't try to bring Christ in conformity to your plan. You try to live your life in conformity to his. He knows where you're supposed to be. He knows what positions to put you in so that you will succeed. He'll put you in a position to grow. But you've got to serve him. You're not the coach. He is. See, these are identity markers for for us to grab hold of today. Places where we can go, this is right And I think there's so many of us walking around in this world going, am I in the will of God? Are we really on the right path? Is this really where God has me? Because I've messed things up. This isn't the way things were supposed to turn out. I don't feel like I belong. And the whole time, God is looking at us this morning and going, you know what, I might move you somewhere new. I might send you in a new direction. But right now, I want you to know in this very moment, you're at the exact position that I have. I might move you. You might get put in a new position, but right now, have your head on a swivel. You're on the hot corner. Right now. Not when you get your act together. Not when you've got everything perfect. And if you're sitting there going, Boy, I regret that last at bat. And turn your back to the batter's box. You're in trouble. God wants you to be ready right now. Set apart for service to God through the Spirit of God because he's chosen you to be part of his team. Don't spend time worrying about the last at bat because the balls are going to keep flying. Don't spend time worried if you're headed in the right direction because God knows your destination anyhow. God knows. He sees. And he wants you to know whatever life is throwing at you today, he's still on the throne. And whatever questions that you have today, he still knows your destination. 
in whatever brought you to this place in need of his mercy this morning, God can still use you right now. What are you waiting for? What are you regretting? What are you in prayer saying, God, this can't be right? And the whole time God's saying, you are my elect exile dispersed to this place right now. Allow me to use you. Just be obedient to me and I'll use you. Just submit your life to me and I will use you. Just give it over to Christ, I will use you. God wants to use you today. God wants to minister through you today. He doesn't want you to wait. He doesn't want you to tell him it's wrong. Because he can use you right where you're at. Let's pray. Father God, for just a few minutes, we're going to make this house a house of prayer. And today, if you're in a place where you would say, Pastor Matt, I've been telling God we're headed in the wrong direction. Pastor Matt, I've been telling God that he's got me in the wrong position. Or Pastor Matt, I don't even know what game I'm in or whose team I'm on right now. I'm so turned around. But I want my future, my life, my days to be ordered by him. And I just want to, with a resolve, serve him, regardless of where I'm at today. I want to serve him regardless of my life circumstances. And in that way, I'll be down and ready for him. If that's you today, and you'd love somebody just to pray for you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just stand right where you're at? Say, Pastor Matt, I'm in need of prayer today. I want to get back on track. Who else today? Just stand right where you're at. I'm going to send one of our prayer team to pray with you today. Who else? I, I would love somebody to pray for me. Jesus said this house should be a house of prayer. And prayer team, you can begin to move. Pastor Matt, I'd love somebody to pray for me today. team, you can just begin to pray over these. But if you're in your seat today, I would just encourage you right in this moment, right at this time, to say, Lord Jesus, I, I want to trust you. And I want to be used by you. Because I know you have me where I'm at today. I'm not hidden from your sight. Use me. I'm your servant, Lord Jesus. Pray your prayer in your own way today. And in a moment, we'll close together.